today we're going to be continuing on in our series in John, though. Uh, last week we took a look at how Jesus was sent and the way that he was sent into ministry is the same way that we have been sent uh, in that doing only what the Father is directed through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, even to the point where we're called not to worry about what we're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to guide us uh, as we do these things. Uh, we're going to be continuing on into a verse today in chapter 20. Uh, and before we get into that, and kind of as we transition out of that announcement, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you and uh, we thank you again for the opportunity to come here to worship in your name with our brothers and sisters uh, in unity, proclaiming your goodness and your beauty. Uh, as we come and we look at your holy word, we pray that it would be alive uh, and active to us, that where we need to be convicted, we trust you to do the conviction. Where we need healing, we pray for healing. Uh, where we need guidance and direction, we ask for guidance and direction. Uh, we thank you that the power is in your words uh, and not mine. And I just ask that you would guide me here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into this uh, message, I, I got a little bit of a disclaimer on this one. It's going to be uh, a little different than typical, and that's because we're going to get a little bit more technical uh, as far as some translating and original language and things like that, uh, because this passage this morning uh, has been distorted a number of different ways and misunderstood a number of different ways. Uh, in order to really kind of bring clarity to it, we have to, to dive a little bit deeper, a little bit meatier into how languages work and Greek works uh, in order to get into this um, and to kind of have clarity in a passage that's caused problems, um, honestly, for centuries. Uh, and so we're going to get into that. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 21. Uh, again, this is something we talked a little bit about uh, last week, but it's this next verse uh, in 23 where we're going to get into today. So uh, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 23, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so if we just take a snapshot of this verse and look at it at face value, especially within the English language in this translation, it seems like Jesus is saying, here's the Holy Spirit. Now, if you forgive people, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive people, they're not forgiven. Like, whoa. Whoa. Is that what this passage is, is really what it's saying here? In other words, like, like if we forgive people, their sins are, are wiped away and they're in good standing with God. And, and if we don't forgive people, then, then we're sending them to hell because they still have their sins. Is that what Jesus is actually saying here? And, and with as hard as it is to forgive sometimes, um, who would really even want this ability? Right? Because like when somebody hurts us, when somebody does something against us, or, or they do, uh, you know, even looking back to, you know, the, the tragedy that happened in Waukesha with the Christmas parade, you know, or murder, or school shootings, or, you know, any number of atrocities that happen within the world, it, it can be really hard for us to forgive at times, right? 
And so if this is what the passage is saying, then, then there's this like weighty responsibility about people's eternal souls that, that's now on our shoulders. Um, and, and honestly, this passage has been used by centuries uh, by the Catholic Church within their structure of confession and penance and last rites. And so that whole concept of where like you head into the closet and confess sins, it's based off this passage in saying to the apostles and, and to Peter here in this moment that if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins, they are retained. The Catholic Church has taken that and followed that line of, of Peter and apostles and, and heading into the popes and then granting authority to priests, and, which has established the whole aspect of confession where, where their belief is that if you've sinned, you have that sin on you, whether it is a, a gross sin or a menial sin, um, uh, or what do they call it between the two of them? I'm blanking on that first one. What? Menial? Yep. Mortal sin. Yeah, mortal sin. Yeah, so mortal sins are, they believe, are the ones that actually will send you to hell. Menial sins are the ones that send you to purgatory. And you kind of carry those things um, unless you confess to a priest. And not just the confession, but then there's the penance that's involved. And so you would head into the little closet. You don't see the priest. Uh, you go to the priest and you say, Father, forgive me for I've blah, 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 blah. And then uh, the priest at that point would say, well, go and say five Hail Marys and however our fathers. And that's now a penance that, that you have to go and do. And as you say those things, uh, the Catholic Church is saying this verse then takes into place where now your sins are forgiven. And, and now you're clear because this representative of Jesus has now forgiven you. And so now you're forgiven. They don't have this sense of being able to go to our Father directly and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you forgive me? They have this whole process where you have to go to a human being uh, in order to receive this forgiveness. The whole thing with last rites is, is all centered around this as well. And so if somebody's on their deathbed and they're facing death, like a priest would come for this ritual of last rites for the person who's dying to have an opportunity to confess any sins that they haven't confessed. To be able to receive that prayer and that last absolution where like, okay, now your sins are gone and you're ready to die um, because we've cleared those things away. And so is the passage saying that? And if it is, we've been doing this thing wrong, right? And we need to build a booth over here, and i got to hide in the closet, and I don't want to do that. So let's see what this verse says. Uh, we look at the original language here. Uh, in verse 23, again, it says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, when you look at this passage, that, that term, they are forgiven them, and they are retained. So, so the aspect, or, or rather what seems to be the result, right? So in English language, uh, it says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. That they are forgiven seems to be the result of you forgave them, so they're forgiven, Right? So we're looking at that term, they are forgiven or they are retained, and both of these are written in the perfect passive tense within Greek. 
Uh, and so again, this is where it's getting a, a little bit technical within that language here. Uh, what happens within Latin and Greek and those types of languages is, is that there's different prefixes and suffixes that can be added to those words that will change um, the tense of the word, who it's referring to, whether it's plural or singular, but also like is it past tense, is it present tense, is it future tense? And um, in English, we have it a little bit, right? But we add extra words. You know, have been running. I am running, right? So running is the same word in there. Have been running means I did it in the past. I am running means that I'm, I'm doing it now. Within Greek language, they use these tenses where they just change that one word and it can mean that. So this sense of the perfect passive tense. The perfect tense um, if you think perfect, and even when we look at how we've seen it within passages itself, the Greek word for perfect is teleos. It also means complete or full or finished. And so not just perfect, but rather like to the fullness, to the completion. Uh, just kind of a, a reminder in how to look at this. The perfect tense means a, a past action that has been completed. It's been something done in the past, it's been fulfilled, it is completed, and now what we're seeing is the current result out of what's already happened in the past. Uh, the passive tense means that the subject of the sentence is the recipient and not the actor. In other words, something has been done to the subject and it's not the subject doing something, right? So we put these two different tenses onto that word, they are forgiven or they are retained. And as we put that in there, in other words, what this passage is, is saying is before we forgive them, they have already been forgiven. The New American Standard Bible translates this a little bit better by saying, I think we have that passage up there, uh, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And so again, now this gets a little bit convoluted because it's saying if you forgive, they have been forgiven. So, so if you forgive them, they've already been forgiven in the past is what it's saying, but when you start to look at this within context of other scriptures, such as Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when it involves the church discipline process, you begin to understand that what the disciples were given was not the ability to forgive or retain sins. They weren't given the ability to make people in right standing before God but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were given the ability to discern if someone has been forgiven by God or not. Whether or not somebody is in right standing with God or not. This passage is dealing with people's standing before God. And again, not necessarily whether or not they've sinned against us, but rather where are they at before God. Uh, with individuals, we're, we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. Again, this passage that we're looking at where it says if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained is very, very similar to Matthew chapter 18 
where, he, again, he's talking about uh, people being restored into the church, but also it's saying that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. That's Matthew 18, verse 18. I didn't get a chance to put that up on the screen this morning. Again, that is in response to bringing a person to the place of acknowledging their, where they stand before God and, and the fact that they are standing in a place where they're not in right relationship, that they haven't repented, that they're in a place where they need to do some business with God and seek that forgiveness. Again, not from, from Peter, not from the apostles who then have the right to say, all right, well, you're forgiven and everything's clear, but before God himself. What the apostles were given in this point and in this moment, again, was the ability to discern if someone has been forgiven or not before God in order to help work them towards that right relationship. Now, when it comes personally, uh, again, in Matthew chapter 18, he's, he's kind of saying, Jesus is saying, this is now what you're to do if someone's not in right relationship with God or if they've sinned against you. This is what you do within the church, whether you're acknowledging their repentance or not. But then he continues on. So Peter's like, okay, well, like we've got the power to acknowledge whether they're not they're in right standing with God. But, but how many times am I to forgive? Is the very next question Peter has uh, in verse 21 in Matthew 18. And again, Jesus' response is uh, 70 times 7. And he continues on going through the parable uh, of the servant um, that was unforgiving. And he ends this um, after he punishes the servant in verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. And so within this thing, again, there's two different things being taught. The beginning of that Matthew 18 section is teaching about kind of that, that corporate standing before God or where that person stands before God. That next section has to do with our interpersonal relationships and forgiving one another. And we're called to forgive as we have been forgiven. Now what that means is we let go of our right to retribution. We let go for our right for revenge. We let go of our right to desire and seek out punishment because somebody's done something against it. And we let it go and we trust God with that judgment. We trust God with dealing with that person and we hope that they come to a place uh, of repentance and forgiveness and right standing with God. But we let those things go and we trust Him to do that work acknowledging that we're not the ones that are to judge. We're not the ones to, to mete out or dole out punishment and we're not the ones that decide whether or not they're in right standing with God or not. What we've been given in this passage in John chapter 20, again, is the Holy Spirit-guided ability to discern if somebody is being repentant or not being repentant, if they've been forgiven or not forgiven. And within a corporate sense in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, we see direction to the church at times. If somebody's unrepentant and they continue to be unrepentant, that they're actually to be considered as not part of the church. And that's a whole nother uh, path to go down as far as teaching goes in that section. But rather what we're looking at again is here in John chapter 20 and what he has given to the disciples, the discernment of their standing before God. 
And it coincides again with how Jesus is sent into the world. We look at John chapter 20, and as we're reading this, he's saying, as I've been sent into the world, I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about the ability to discern where people stand before God. So as Jesus was sent in this ability to discern, he's then also sending us in this same way. We'll look at John chapter 3, verse 16 again. We looked at it last week a little bit, uh, but we'll look at a different perspective this morning. It says, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And again, last week we looked at how we can insert the church into that because we're sent as Jesus was sent. So God loved the world in this way. He sent his, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave the church to point to the son so that whoever believes in the son uh, will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the church into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're sent as Jesus was sent. But then this passage continues. Anyone who believes in him or believes in Jesus is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And so again, what it's saying here is Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but rather he as light coming into the world revealed where people are standing. Either they believed and received and, and therefore they are not condemned, or they would reject and avoid and hide. And in that sense, is where the con uh, condemnation would happen. Uh, again, it's this sorting process that's based out of a response to Christ, to the message of the gospel and what he has done. There will be a point where Jesus will judge. We see that in the book of Revelation as he's on the, the judgment seat. But again, this is not how he was sent into the world. He was sent into the world, returned to the Father. That's something different. But as Jesus are sent, was sent in the world, so also are we. As Jesus was sent to the earth, uh, we see this in John chapter 5. For as the Father has life in himself, so he also granted to the Son to have life in himself. He has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice come out to those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but to those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. This is Jesus speaking now in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so again, Jesus, even as he's on that judgment seat, will be doing it according to the will of the Father, and it's going to be done based on how people have responded to the truth of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, being the hope, the payment for sins, uh, and that through repentance and seeking him and having him as our Lord, we are then receiving that forgiveness. Now we are sent, again, as Jesus was sent. 
not as judges, not as arbiters, not as the arm of justice in order to mete out punishment, but rather simply as a messenger, as one who brings good news. In this passage and others, we're given the authority and ability to discern uh, this forgiveness uh, or whether or not sins are retained. Uh, Again, it's not based on our own judgment. It's not based on our sense of the person's character or it's not based on whether or not we like the person or, or think whether or not they're doing the right thing. It should be a Holy Spirit guided thing that's rooted deeply within Scripture and based on how people are responding to Scripture and responding to the work of Christ within their life. The fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit does lead to repentance. It does lead to godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so somebody that has hardened their heart and blatantly commits sin and continues to do so and has no remorse or even thinks that it's approved within Scripture, I've heard that within ministry at times. Where I go to somebody and say, like, you realize that like, what you're doing is against what the Bible teaches. Yeah, no, I I get that it's against what the Bible teaches, but I think Jesus is okay with it. It's that kind of response, it's that kind of heart attitude that begins to reveal by the Holy Spirit where people might be. And again, I say might be because it's part of that conversation, it's part of prayer, and it's part of the Lord guiding where that comes. But we find, and what Jesus has taught, is that this, this discernment is based on repentance. Because grace, mercy, forgiveness all comes through repentance. We find that judgment comes from a lack of repentance. Again, in John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. We often go through this, and we struggle with this because there's this response where we don't want others to, to judge us. And it's not what this passage is talking about. What this passage is pointing to is that out of love and care for one another, we want to be discerning with one another. It's this aspect of we're a family on a journey pursuing after Christ and encouraging one another to follow Jesus and and, and to be doing everything that we can to reflect him within our life. And it's out of that heart that we should have a desire not to judge, but to be discerning and care for the health and concern of other people around us. What we're doing is not judging Uh, but rather just a call to follow Jesus. It's just a constant call to follow Jesus, to look to him as our Lord and Savior, to look to him as our example, to, to respond to what he's taught us to be. It's a call to respond to the offer of grace and mercy. And, and some may take the option to turn from that and harden within their hearts, but our job is simply to point to the light and truth in love and not judgmental. Uh, This is hard to do, right? Because we're imperfect ourselves. And and there's this whole defense mechanism and there's different attitudes involved and there's pride involved and shame involved and like all of these things where, you know, if we're dealing with some junk and we see somebody else screwing up but we think we're doing an okay job, it's really easy to kind of point to somebody else's faults and, and not acknowledge our own. Or maybe we feel better because we're, well, at least I'm not 
that person or I'm not this person. It's what the Pharisee was doing when the tax collector was praying over there. He's like, his prayer was not, God, this is where I need your help. But his prayer in that moment was, I'm just glad I'm not that person. And so because of our own brokenness, because of our own sin, because of our own imperfection uh, of being able to discern or judge others, uh, we can struggle to do this in a, in a way that isn't judgmental and in a way that's not harmful. But again, we cannot do this within our own power. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 uh, and verse 7 puts it this way. Uh, again, speaking where the Holy Spirit's to come. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. This is Jesus saying, this is the Holy Spirit coming. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to do this. He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. You notice what Jesus is not saying here. You, as disciples, you as apostles, you are to convict the world about righteousness. You're to convict them about sin. You're to convict them about judgment. And this is where we see much damage happen with people who have good intentions and are concerned for where people's eternity might be headed, but what they do, instead of revealing the light in love and pointing to Jesus as the hope and joy and salvation, they point fingers, shake fists, shout with bullhorns, and point out sin and judgment and the need for righteousness. And they're trying to convict people out of their own strength and with the words of their mouth. Instead of relying upon the Holy Spirit to do that. In our interactions with people, in our heart, in our desire to, to walk alongside people in each of our brokenness and each of our deep needs of the grace and mercy of Christ, we can't do that by pointing fingers at one another and saying, you need to be convicted and you need to be convicted and you need to be convicted. But it's meant to be this joint journey towards Christ. As we can uh, encourage one another and gather one another and point one another towards Jesus, as we go down that path, we find it's the Holy Spirit that brings uh, conviction in that. And even within this, we have to recognize, again, our own need. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 2. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. How do you want to be judged? How do you want to be measured? Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ is grace, mercy, love, forgiveness through repentance. And Jesus' blood covered it all. And his love is so great that he will pursue everyone and seek them and reveal himself to them. This is that judgment that if we are relying upon Him, that's where grace and mercy is found. If we harden ourselves to that, then that's where judgment is found. So He's saying you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, measured by the same measure. Verse 3, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. And so what this is talking about here is this recognition, again, of each of our own brokenness and our need for that grace and mercy from Christ. That each one of us has things that we need to work on. And if we're not acknowledging that, it results in a pride. It results in being easy to judge others and point fingers. Instead, if what we do first is acknowledge, this is what I have happening within my own life. Not in a way to, to be complacent about it, to, to ignore it, but rather, I need to be walking towards Christ. I need grace and mercy. I need the work of the power of the Holy Spirit to help me with this area of my life. And I need my brothers and sisters to walk alongside me as I do that. Then we have the compassion, empathy needed in order to go to other people and say, hey, let's walk towards Jesus together. This is what I need to work on. That's what you need to work on. Let's just do it together. And it becomes a joint journey relying upon the power and the work of the Holy Spirit um, as we walk out that life in forgiveness. Again, if we've been forgiven by Christ, that forgiveness has taken place. It is done. And we're just recognizing the fruit of that as we go forward. This whole thing, uh, again... um, A little bit technical this morning as we go into it, but I think it's one of the things that we struggle with as a church. Because we're meant to help one another. And a lot of times, we take that as, well, we need to encourage one another. And we do. Uh, It was the passage that we looked at last night at Faith Rx and encouraging one another, especially as that day draws near. But at the same time, as as much as we want to be able to encourage one another, we also like to be very protective and very prideful about the issues within us, uh, and especially if it's ones that we're blind to. And we don't want people to approach us. We don't want those things exposed. We don't want to work through them, and we don't want other people to point them out. What Scripture is calling us to is to be that mutual support, accountability, and the ability to help account for where we might be blind in different areas of our life. If we have the right attitude of humility and that I'm a project that the Holy Spirit's working on in constant need of grace, in constant need of mercy, and in constant need of help from my brothers and sisters, then it puts me into a place where I am a humble disciple eager for growth, and open to be working with people as I go through that growth. But if instead, I come from the aspect of, well, you know, here's this little area that I need to work on, but, you know, I'm working on it, I'm good, here's all the different areas that I'm good at, and I've got this down, and I've got this down, and I've just got this little bit of an issue, and, and somebody else comes up to me, and they're like, hey, you know, I really feel like God's calling you to work on that. Or, or did you realize that, you know, this anger issue that you kind of have, like it hurt me when you did this. When, when, when that kind of thing happens and comes up, if our attitude is, well, I'm good here, I'm good here, and I'm good here, and here's this little project that I work on once in a while, it's where we find ourselves in the place of the Pharisees. And it's easier to judge, and it's easier to reject, and it's easier to protect ourselves Uh, Because we don't want to acknowledge this aspect of we're all projects that the Holy Spirit's working on. And he's called us to do it communally. And in fact, the greater growth happens as we do it communally. 
Again, not this free range, all right, let's all go out and point out each other's problems, right? How is the Holy Spirit leading us? How is he guiding us? How are we doing it in relationship? How are we doing it in love? In the same way that we're judged is the standard um, in which we judge others. How are we doing it in this aspect of loving one another? And again, the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And so all we're really called to do is encourage and ask our brothers and sisters to join us on a journey towards Jesus. And we trust that the Holy Spirit does it as we're on the way. We get to rest upon the words of Christ, that we have grace and repentance and forgiveness, that judgment is not on our shoulders but God's, and all we're called to do is to seek the truth, love the truth, hold the truth, and proclaim the truth as we live the truth. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning, and uh, thank you for this passage. Uh, I thank you for the language that it was written in, uh, and just the preciseness uh, of Greek and Hebrew at times in ways that our own English language um, can fumble around in. And, and just that we can rest and trust that you are the judge and that you are the standard setter and that you are perfect in love, mercy, grace, and justice. But that it's not a burden for us to carry but that you've given us the ability to be salt and light in the world, to carry that light wherever we go. And as we do that, it creates a confrontation with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, however people respond to that is between them and you. And I pray that you help us to look at this passage where you have given us the ability within the Holy Spirit to have discernment of where people stand before you and other passages and what to do with that discernment. Lord, we can look throughout church history and even within our own lives to see where that has been done poorly and has caused hurt and harm and shame and condemnation. And that is because it's been done out of human strength and out of human wisdom. Lord, we don't want to shy away from what you've called us to be as a church called us to be as brothers and sisters away uh, with one another. And so, we, Lord, we just pray that you help us to humbly rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to these interactions, that we would be cautious not to cause harm and shame or pain. But at the same time, out of love, we want to be able to be a light and salt and encouragement to one another in times of need. We pray that if we're blind in any areas within our lives, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and to use a brother or sister if that is needed as well. Help us to be humble servants, to be those uh, vessels of clay that you are molding and shaping by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to have the attitude that we are your projects and a communal project so that we may live in humble harmony with one another as we look at the beautiful thing that you are building. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.